I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is, um, well, simply brilliant in so many ways. I mean, prepare yourself for an incredible conversation. Nir Eyal is an author, but he writes and consults and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. He has two bestsellers that are both incredibly insightful. He is the author of Hooked, which was a book about how to build habit-forming products. So if you're building good products for the planet, hopefully you're building products that are building good habits. And then Indestructible, which is how to control your attention and choose your life. Uh, So basically how to, as an individual, work against the products and other things that distract us in our day-to-day engagement with life. Nier previously taught as a lecturer in marketing at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He co-founded and sold two tech companies since 2003 and was dubbed by the MIT Technology Review as the prophet of habit-forming technology. Indestructible in specific is an incredible book. It received critical acclaim, winning the Outstanding Works of Literature Award, as well as having been named one of the best business and leadership uh, books of the year by Amazon, and one of the best personal development books of the year by Audible. The uh, Global and Mail called Indestructible the best business book of 2019. In addition, Nier uh, blogs at Nier and Far, N-I-R and Far.com. And his writing has been featured in the New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, and Psychology Today. An incredible thinker with incredible clarity and definitely someone that has affected my life specifically with Indestructible. So prepare yourself for an incredible conversation uh, with Nier Eyal. I have literally... Pages and pages of notes uh, of what, what I want to How talk about. How much time do we have? Let's do it. <laughs> exactly. Before I start, I just want to to you know make an uh, an announcement to our listeners. You know, a brilliant alert, as I always call it. This is a brilliant. I know for certain because I've followed Nier's work for a while. This is going to be a brilliant conversation. No pressure, Nier. No, no pressure. I mean, uh, <laughs> but, but but it is so clear and so concise, and I I really think it's so useful and so timely, especially actually in times of lockdown. I want to start by reminding people, so Nier's uh, first book was called Hooked. It was about building products that would create habits in people. And almost as if you repented and went from the dark side to the light, you then wrote Indistractable, which was basically the guide for all of us to resist those products, right? How did that journey happen? Yeah, well, it's not, it's not the same products. Uh-huh. So the products that I wrote Hooked for are the kind of products we want to use more. We want to build good habits, right? So the idea behind Hooked 
was can we steal the secrets behind what makes all sorts of products so sticky? Uh -huh. We think about gaming products or uh, social networks or uh, the news or whatever it might be. How can we steal their psychological secrets so that we can make healthy behaviors habit forming? And that's exactly what's happened in the six years or so since Hooked was published. All kinds of companies in every conceivable industry have used the Hook model to get people hooked for good. Kahoot uses the hook model to get kids hooked onto learning. Fitbod uses the hook model to get people hooked to exercise. Uh, I even invested recently in a company called Cutback Coach that uses the hook model to get people to cut back, uh, uh, to become unhooked on their consumption of alcohol. So we <laughs> can like actually use the hook model for good. Now, sometimes there are products out there that are designed to be so engaging that sometimes they become a distraction. And that's what indistractable is for. So if hooked was about how to build good habits, indistractable is about how to break bad habits. But I did not call the book unhooked. My publisher thought I should, <laughs> but I didn't because I did not want to negate the message of hooked because I really do believe we can have our cake and eat it too. I'm very tech positive. And I'm not saying that technology is somehow evil and it's melting your brain and that we are out of control and it's addicting everyone. That's silly. That's nonsense. That we can actually find ways to get the best out of technology without letting it get the best of us. I'm with you on that. I always say technology is a double-edged sword, right? So, you, you know, you use it right and it works for you. You use it wrong and it will hurt you. And there is nothing inherently wrong with technology. But I, I believe it's been more and more technology giants' practices, I would say, that maybe are making technology a little smarter than we are. I mean, when you really think about it, the engines behind a, an Instagram or a Facebook or, you know, which really can monitor every tiny move that I have on their application and then somehow sort of bias me slowly from one side to the other. It requires indistractable, if you ask me to be able to overcome those. What I wanted to do was to empower people. That that's exactly as you said. It's if you know how to use these tools correctly, they're incredibly empowering. They're they're wonderful. What what I don't like out there today is that there's this this myth being perpetuated that somehow their algorithms are controlling your mind. It's hijacking your brain. It's addicting you. And that type of language has been found to be actually not only inaccurate, scientifically untrue, but also damaging because what this tells people is exactly what the tech companies want them to believe which is that there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> okay right uh -huh. that these products they're so addictive they're so persuasive they're so hijacking your brain there's nothing you can do and look i know all their secrets i know how they got you hooked i wrote the book hooked <laughs> i know <laughs> their tricks and i'm telling you their techniques are good they're not that good. Yeah, they're not very right? This isn't mind control. No, we are so much more powerful than they are if we believe we are. The problem is that so many people out there think, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm addicted. My kids, their brains are hijacked. And what people do when they believe they're helpless, you know what they do? Nothing because they think there's nothing they can do. It's called learned helplessness. Absolutely. And we see this all the time, by the way. Distraction is not just about technology. There's all kinds of distractions out there. You know, I, I just went on a pretty serious health kick. I used to be clinically obese, and now I'm in the best shape of my life. I lost, no a, way. Yeah, I lost a bunch of weight. No way. 
hold on, hold on. Let's stop this podcast here and focus on this. <laughs> we need all of your secrets. <laughs> distraction is, see, here's the thing, because distraction is not just about technology. Food can be a distraction. If television can be a distraction. Your work can be a distraction. Anything can be a distraction if it's not what you plan to do with your time. So really how we control our time and attention is how we control our life. And so this is a much bigger conversation than just technology. Distraction has been around forever. Plato talked about it 2,500 years ago. So it's really about, it's much bigger than just whatever's in our hand at the moment. It's about how do we do what we say we're going to do in all aspects of our life. I will come back to the fitness bit because uh, I actually have to admit, I have this little, no, I shouldn't say that in public. It's a very tiny belly that I did not used to have before the lockdown. And, you know, in an interesting way, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, what happened here? It's not that I don't go to the gym. I think it's been that my habits at the gym have changed a little bit. And so I let that little guy creep. So we're going to come back to fitness, but maybe we should start with the general concept. You refer to uh, crazia is what you normally talk about. You know, the idea that we do things that are sort of against our best interest or better judgment. Exactly. And this is, this is from the Greek. Uh, this is what Plato called akrasia, the tendency that we have to do things against our better interest. And I bring that up because it's evidence that distraction is nothing new. That even though we tend to blame the latest technology or whatever corporation that might be trying to, to change our behavior, this has always been the case. Distraction has always been with us. What's different now is that if you are looking for a distraction, it's easier than ever to find. But of course, complaining about this stuff outside of us is pretty futile, right? Are we going to tell Netflix, hey, Netflix, your shows are really entertaining. Please stop making them so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Apple, your devices are so user-friendly. Please stop that. Uh, food companies, you know, your food is so delicious. Please make it less tasty. That doesn't make any sense, right? The price of progress is that we live in a world with so many good things in it. And so it behooves us to understand how do we do what we say we're going to do? How do we act in our best interest? Because today, the problem is not that we don't know what to do, right? Maybe previous generation could say, oh, I just didn't know how to lose weight. I didn't know how to have better relationships. I didn't know how to excel at my job. Today, we don't have that excuse anymore. Who, who doesn't basically know how to lose weight? Do we have to buy a diet book to tell us to eat right and exercise? We know. <laughs> who doesn't know that if you want to have better relationships with your family, you have to be fully present as opposed to constantly looking at your phone at the dinner table? Who doesn't know that if you want to do better at your job, if you, if you want to you know, grow your business, you have to do the work as opposed to procrastinating. You have to do what's required, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. We know. We know all this stuff. The question is not what to do. The question is, why don't we do what we already know we should do? Because what we're missing today, and I think the reason this is the skill of the century, is because there's no longer a shortage of information. It's that we don't know how to stop getting in our own way. We don't know how to stop getting distracted. That is incredible when you really think about it. Because I, I believe... I've never thought of it this way, by the way. You know, I, I sometimes think that there is a flood of information that it becomes now almost the opposite. It's hard to know what to do because there is too much information. But when you, when you think about it, any of that information that you will get is useful. And yet we don't actually use it. I mean, yeah, you could get someone saying eat 7,000 calories, but, but burn eight. 
and you get someone else saying, no, no, hold on, you know, cut on carbs, right? Both of them will work. It's just, you know, a matter of choosing to ded dedicate yourself to one of the, or the other and, and knowing what you actually want and acknowledging that this is better for you. And sticking with it. Right. That's the problem is that if you quit doing whatever it is you're doing in life, whatever goal you have, whatever ambition, if you quit, you will fail. Agreed? That is the 100%, <laughs> no doubt about it, way to fail at something is to quit. So what happens is, even when people have the right methodology, they fail because they fall off track. So they don't even know if the methodology would work for them, <laughs> and which is why these businesses, you know, productivity, diet advice, all this stuff, why they keep cranking out books saying pretty much the same thing is because people don't finish. <laughs> they keep getting distracted. Yeah, exactly. Or they do it wrong or they, as you rightly said, they stop doing it. I mean, often in work, people will tell me things like, you know, no, no, hold on. We tried this before it didn't work. And I go like, have you ever thought that you may have not tried enough of it or that you may have not tried it right? Because, you know, for others, it works. You know, you can see that there is something there that points that it's possible. So your method is very structured. And I, you know, I could actually cite it to everyone right now, but I'd rather hear it from you. You say there are four strategies. <laughs> no, no, please do. This is great. <laughs> I would love to hear you try. You know, there are four strategies. We want to, we have internal triggers. We have external triggers, right? Between them, we actually need to make the time and then we need to make the pact, you say. And I, I find that to be spot on. And somehow near the way you say it, I go like, am I stupid? Why didn't I write those down before <laughs> and stick to them? I mean, in reality, I have to admit to you, I'm quite effective. You know, I, I'm an author. I have a slow-mo, this podcast. You know, I have my own startup. I have, you know, my speaking engagements. I work out. I have relationships. And, you know, I do a lot of stuff in my life. And when I, when every time I refer back to your work, I say it's because I've adopted at least, you know, enough of your methods. Now, I want to start maybe in a slightly different order, if you don't mind. I want to start with the external triggers because everyone will say, yeah, you know what? I'm distracted because life is distracting me. And I know that your concept basically says, no, hold on. It's not just external triggers. Don't play the victim on me. But let's start with that so that we can lay that to rest. Someone will come to me and say, oh, my phone rang and that's why I had to pick it up. And when I picked it up, I ended up losing half an hour. That's why I didn't finish what I wanted to finish. What would you say to that? That is, can certainly be a source of distraction. L let me just back up one step before and actually just define what is distraction. It's really important that we understand what that word even means. I didn't understand it. It seems like one of those basic words that everybody thinks they understand, but you know, a good way to test if you understand what that word means is to see if you know the antonym, do you know the opposite of that word? So most people, if you ask them, what's the opposite of distraction, they'll tell you focus, right? The opposite of distraction is focus, but that's not really true. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. I love that. that. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-M, that spells action. So distraction is not something that happens to us. It is an action we take. So traction is defined as any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. 
The opposite of traction is, of course, distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from what you plan to do, things that you are not doing with intent, things that move you away from your values and away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this is really, really important, this dichotomy, because I believe anything can be traction and anything can be distraction based on one word. And that one word is forethought. Forethought. So how many times have you sat at your desk, or I'll I'll take me, for example, before I wrote this book, I would sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, now I'm going to get started on this big task. I've been procrastinating on something that I've been meaning to do. I'm going to get started right now. Here I go. I'm going to do it right now. But first, let me just check some email. <laughs> let me just scroll that Slack channel just to catch up on office, you know, office gossip and stuff. Let me just check on what's going on. Or uh, let me do that one easy thing on my to-do list, right? And I would justify it to myself saying, well, I'm being productive, right? I'm doing work-related stuff. And what I didn't realize is that that is the most dangerous form of distraction, the distraction that tricks you into prioritizing the urgent and the easy work at the expense of the important and hard work that moves us forward in life. Mm. So anything can be a distraction. Even work stuff can be a distraction. And in fact, that's the worst kind because people don't realize that they have been tricked by distraction into checking email or whatever else, as opposed to working on the stuff they really need to work on. So that would be an example of distraction. Conversely, anything can be traction. So I don't buy this chicken little tech critic narrative that, oh, technology's hijacking your brain. It's addictive. It's melting our minds. BS. That's not true. All this stuff is great, right? Social media is wonderful. These technologies are amazing if we use them according to our schedule and according to our values and nobody else's, right? So the time you plan to waste is not wasted time. Dorothy Parker said that. There's nothing morally inferior to playing a video game versus watching a a football match on TV. They're both pastimes. Do whatever you want with your time, but do it with intent. So now we have traction and we have distraction. Now we can get to your question around where do these triggers fit in? Hold on. My question was too early. My question was too early. (laughs) I needed to set the stage just so everyone understands the difference. I love the way you, you say it because in my mind, you know, I think in physics and traction as opposed to distraction, distraction is to spin your wheels in that way, right? It's like you, you're putting in effort and you're thinking you're doing stuff, but the wheels don't have traction. They don't pull you forward. They don't get you to where you want to be. And that's really a very, very interesting definition. It's like putting the car in reverse, right? right? Yeah. It's running real fast in the wrong direction. <laughs> Exactly. And I think the idea to highlight that also you're distracted by good stuff like email. Sure. Is, yeah, you may be making progress, but it's tiny progress versus where you want to be when you have other priorities to make. And so you're saying there are four forces. Go ahead. Right. So now we got traction, we got distraction. Now we have to ask what prompts us to take these actions. Because remember, traction and distraction are actions. The last six letters of both words, A-C-T-I-O-N, spell action. So we've got internal triggers and external triggers. So external triggers, this is what you said earlier, right? This is what everybody tends to blame uh, are, are their distractions on. It's the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that can lead us towards traction and oftentimes distraction. And that is clearly part of the problem. but Turns out, studies find it's only 10% of the problem. Studies actually find that only 10% of the time that you check your phone, for example, do we check our phones because of an external trigger 
only 10% of the time. Mm. So what's the other 90% of the time? The other 90% of the time are not the external triggers, but rather they are the internal triggers. What are internal triggers? Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. So internal triggers, one of the biggest lessons I learned from writing this book, the five years of research that it took to write this book, was that the vast majority of distraction begins from within, hmm. right? That is the vast majority of distraction. It's discomfort. It's uh, uncertainty, loneliness, fatigue, boredom, anxiety, stress. That is the leading cause of distraction. And so now we have the four points of this compass. Now, we, as you said el eloquently before, we can go around these four points, mastering the internal triggers. That's step one. Making time for traction. That's step two. Step three is hacking back those external triggers. And then finally, as a last line of defense, we can prevent distraction with pacts. You know, this isn't stuff that I made up on my own. I made up the model, right? I put it all together. But many of these techniques, I'm sure people already do some of them. All of them, however, are based on years of research, that there's so much great research out there in academia that was never, you know, never seen the light of day. I have over 30 pages of citations to peer-reviewed studies. It was really important to me to have a book that's based on good science. And it turns out if you use these techniques in concert, so even though you might have one or two of these techniques that we might talk about in a, in a minute here, when you use all four together, mm -hmm. that's when it becomes greater than the sum of its parts. That's when it really becomes effective. And anyone can become indistractable using these four techniques. But there is a lot of habit making here, right? So I think, again, a warning for the listeners, you know, you're not going to listen to near here and then find yourself indistractable. I think you're going to have to take a few notes. I definitely recommend reading the book. And then you have to put it into practice. Were you ever, you know, as distractible as we are near or were you? Oh my gosh. Always. Yeah. Let me tell you, I wrote the book for me. <laughs> because <laughs> These are the best books ever. Oh my gosh. You know, like the fact that other people read it and enjoy it, that's great, but that's the icing on the cake. The reason I wrote the book was because I was crazy distracted that in fact, the more quote unquote successful I became in my business life, the more distracted I became and the less productive I became right? Because now I had all these emails and uh, client calls and meetings and uh, people wanted my attention so that it was more and more difficult to do the things that made me successful in the first place. And so I found, you know, whether it was with my relationships with my daughter, for example, when I was with her, whether it was my health, I started gaining weight. Uh, I wasn't as productive in my writing because I, I couldn't get this under control. And so that's when I really decided, hey, I need to figure this out for myself. So that's when I embarked on these five years of research to figure it out. And where I started, by the way, was with kind of the standard advice that we hear out there of, you know, just throw away your cell phone, right? Some professor in an ivory tower telling us, don't use social media. Meanwhile, they don't have social media accounts, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't need a professor telling me not to use social media unless they struggle with it themselves. So, we, you know, many of us can't stop using these tools. We can't stop using email. We can't stop using social media because our jobs depend on it. And so I really wanted a positive approach because here's the thing. Even when I took this advice, I actually got myself a flip phone from Alibaba, you know, one of these like 1990s things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I took the advice and I, okay, I disconnected, you know, uh, digital detox, no apps, uh, no internet connection, and I still got distracted, right? Because I would sit <laughs> down on my desk and I'd say, okay, now I'm going to get to work without any distraction. 
what? There's that book on the shelf I've been meaning to check out. <laughs> or, oh, you know what? The trash. I need to take out the trash. Or my desk is too cluttered. Let me do that. Or, you know, I would find distraction because I didn't get to the root cause of the problem. Many of those are, you know, the book has always been there, but you teach us that it's the internal trigger, right? Some kind of emotion, some kind of psychological trigger gets you to say, mm, maybe I should reach out for that book now. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so this, this is probably the most important revelation of the book for me. I agree. Yeah, is, is that, you know, I kept blaming the stuff outside of me. And truly, when we look at the studies, when you look at the research, distraction, procrastination, it's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. Your brain isn't somehow broken. It's simply an inability to deal with discomfort in a healthy way. That's what it is. It's simply that we haven't learned the skills, the tools to deal with these uncomfortable emotional states in a way that moves us towards traction rather than distraction. So what we have to remember is that time management requires pain management. Time management requires pain management. Whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, it doesn't matter. If we are looking for escape, if we are getting distracted, it's all about this central common cause of our inability to deal with discomfort. Procrastination distraction is an emotion regulation problem. But the good news is, we can all learn these skills. There's tons of research out there that has highlighted some very simple techniques that anyone can use to start mastering these internal triggers so that they don't become our masters. So let me, you know, think of a few examples just for our listeners. I'm sitting in lockdown. I feel lonely. I reach out for my phone and switch on Instagram. This is me unable to deal with my loneliness in a, in a healthy way and sort of trying to drown it in some kind of distraction that makes me feel less lonely. Are these the kinds of emotions you're talking about? If you wanted to do something else with that time. Uh -huh. So on my schedule, I have time for social media because social media is awesome. You know how many people, I mean, think about how awful it would have been if we had to go through this pandemic 30 years ago. Imagine if it wasn't COVID-19. Imagine if it was COVID-90. Let's say the year 1990, <laughs> the world was hit with this pandemic. Can you imagine how much worse <laughs> it would be without these technologies? I mean, these things are godsend that we have these amazing technologies that let us, you know, you're in Dubai, I'm in Singapore. People are listening all over the world to this technology that we're using for free yeah. <laughs> to connect with each other. It's amazing. And so we shouldn't bemoan and blame the technology. These are tools that we use. It's about how we use them. And so connecting with your friends on Instagram, as you mentioned, is wonderful. There's nothing wrong with it. Thank goodness for Instagram. It's about why and when we use it. Are we using it to escape having to work on that big project? Are we using it because we said we were going to be with our kids, but our kids are driving us nuts and we can't cope with that. So we need to turn to a drink or a smoke or a piece of chocolate cake, or a Facebook scroll? Are we escaping the discomfort when we didn't plan to? Or do we have a time in our day when we say, hey, that's my social media time. Then there's nothing wrong with it because I'm doing it based on my values and my schedule, not somebody else's, and not because I'm looking for emotional escape from that discomfort that I can't handle otherwise. But then if it is interrupting or if it is distracting me, what you advise is, 
to acknowledge the sensation. And I don't remember the exact term that you use, something like surf. Surf the urge. Surf the urge, yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. So basically what you're saying is when you're reaching out to that phone, remember that this is a psychological discomfort and your advice then would be what? Right. So what we want to do is to have several arrows in our quiver. We want to have all kinds of tools ready for us to grab when we get distracted, starting with mastering these internal triggers. So with this step one, remember there's four key steps. Within step one, there's about a dozen different things you can do. So what I want to do is to arm people with whatever techniques they find works best for them. One of the techniques that works best for me comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. This is a well-documented, well-studied methodology. And one of the techniques that comes out of acceptance and commitment therapy is called the 10-minute rule. And the 10-minute rule acknowledges- I love this. You you like this one? I use this all the time. I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And I did. I can't take credit for it, but I, I'm trying to popularize it because it is so effective. Basically, what the 10-minute rule says that instead of telling yourself no, you want to tell yourself not yet. And this actually comes out of addiction research that we're starting to understand that addiction is much more complicated than just the chemical we're putting in our body. That in fact, what we're finding is that the way addiction takes hold is not because of the sensation itself. For example, if you talk to smokers, the vast majority of smokers don't actually enjoy the smoking. When they stop and reflect on it, it's stinky, it's expensive, it's gross. Like they don't even like the smell of it. They don't even get a buzz from it anymore, but they keep doing it. Why? It turns out that saying no backfires. That when you tell yourself not to do something, that when you tell yourself strict abstinence, right? It's like pulling on a rubber band. When you pull on a rubber band and you pull, 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 eventually you can't pull anymore. When you let go of it, it doesn't just go back to where it started. No, it ricochets across the room. And so what happens when we tell ourselves, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't, okay, fine. That relief of that tension of telling ourselves not to do something is itself pleasurable. Ah, finally, I get to smoke, right? The only way I can relieve the discomfort of telling myself no is to do the very behavior. And so the brain registers that as relieving the discomfort of wanting something so bad because you told yourself not to do it. So abstinence can backfire. So telling yourself no is not always the best way. What you want to do instead, instead of saying no, is to say not yet. So what we want to do, and this works just as well for telling yourself not to check email right now or not to eat that piece of chocolate cake if you're on a diet or smoke that cigarette, doesn't matter. It works for every distraction. What you want to tell yourself is to say, look, I can give in to that distraction. I'm not telling myself no. I'm just going to say not yet. I'm going to give in to that distraction in 10 minutes, right? That's where the 10-minute rule comes from. Not for 10 minutes in 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so somebody misunderstood one time and said, Oh, so I can smoke for 10 minutes. No, no, no. In 10 minutes, not for 10 minutes. So what you do is, so this happens to me all the time when I'm writing. Okay. I've written two bestsellers, countless articles. Writing is never easy. Okay. It never becomes a habit for me. It's always hard work. It's always a slog, but all I want to do when I'm writing is Google something or check email or scroll Facebook or whatever. I just want to do anything else to take my mind off of the discomfort of the writing because it's hard. So what do I do? I tell myself, okay, I'm going to wait for 10 minutes before I do whatever that distraction might be. So I take out my phone. I say, set a timer for 10 minutes. I put the phone down and now I have a choice to make. I can either 
get back to the task at hand, right? Do whatever it is I plan to do with my time, get back to the writing or whatever it might be. Or I want to do what's called surf the urge. Surfing the urge acknowledges that our uncomfortable sensations are like waves. They crest and then they subside, just like a wave. Even though in the moment it feels like it's going to last forever, they never do. So if we can just sit there for a few minutes and acknowledge, okay, I'm feeling this internal trigger. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling stressed. Is anybody going to like this essay? Is it any good? What are people going to think of it? Where is that coming from? Oh, okay. I'm talking. I, I feel these things because I really want this essay to be well done. I really want people to benefit from it. I think it's important. So I'm reframing that conversation I'm having with myself as opposed to ruminating on the bad aspects. I'm getting to the core of why it's happening. And so I show you how to have that conversation with yourself. And what you will find is by the time those 10 minutes are up, okay, by the time your, your alarm rings, what you will find is nine times out of 10, that sensation is you're gone. You're not interested anymore. Yeah, yeah, you're back to work. You're back doing the thing you said you were going to do. And if at the end of those 10 minutes you want to give in, go for it. Have the piece of chocolate cake or whatever the case might be. But nine times out of 10, it's not going to happen. So what you do over time, the 10-minute rule becomes the 12-minute rule, the 15-minute rule. And you're building your capacity to be able to delay gratification, which is really the skill we're, we're building here. That is an amazing advice. I mean, I, I actually normally do it with writing. Writing is never easy, even though I enjoy it tremendously. I call it the one-hour rule. So I always write in chunks of one hour at a time. I set my timer and I sit. Sometimes I don't write a single word. And 15 minutes in, I'm like, why are you sitting here? Because the timer says there are 45 minutes more to go. And then very quickly, you start to write. You know, you're like, I'm here anyway. Let me just, you know, use the time productively until the timer goes off, which I think is a very good segue into your second strategy. Your second strategy is really around achieving traction itself. It's not about avoiding distraction. It's like more focused on traction. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So it's about making time for traction. So one of the biggest mistakes that people make is that they can't tell me what is traction in their day. And you can't call something distraction. You can't say you got distracted by something unless you know what it distracted you from. So when I talk to folks and they tell me, oh, you know, I plan to do this and I want to do that, but uh, the world's so distracting these days and my boss wanted this and my kids wanted that and you see what's on Twitter and the news, I can't get anything done. But when you ask them, okay, but what did you plan to do with your time, right? What was on your schedule? It's white, it's blank, <laughs> right? Maybe a meeting here and a, a dentist appointment there. But you know, when it comes down to how did you want to spend your time, most people don't keep a calendar. And those who do keep a calendar don't keep what's called a time box calendar, which has been shown in countless studies, literally thousands of studies have shown that this is one of the most effective things you can do for your personal productivity. Psychologists call it setting an implementation intention, which is just a fancy way of saying, planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. It's as simple as that, and it's incredibly effective. The problem is that most people don't do this. Instead, they run their life on a to-do list. And running your life with a to-do list is probably one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. People don't realize how toxic to-do lists are. Part of the reason they're so toxic, there are several reasons, is that they convince you of your own inadequacy. They teach you to not believe in yourself. Here's what happens. You know, to-do lists are endless, right? There is no constraint to a to-do list. You just add more and more and more tasks. And as long as I've been doing this research, I have never 
in all this time found anyone who finishes everything on their to-do list every day. That person doesn't exist. It's like a unicorn. Right? Like, <laughs> it's just mythical. And yet, how many of us keep using this method I did for years that is not working for us? We keep banging our head against the wall. And so here's what happens with when you run your life on a to-do list. And to be clear, I'm not saying that writing things down that you need to get done is a bad idea. That's a good yes. idea. What's yeah. a bad idea is waking up in the morning. Is to work from it directly. Exactly. Yeah. Getting to work and saying, oh, what should I do? Let me look at my to-do list. If you do that, as opposed to looking at your schedule, you have already lost. Because what happens to folks is they never finish their to-do list. They get home at the end of the day. They're stressed out. They're tired. All they want to do is relax. And they still got in their heads all these things they didn't accomplish. And so not only does that ruin the remaining leisure time they have because they're not really fully present with their family, with their kids, whatever it is that they want to do after work, but also when they look at that to-do list and they still haven't finished everything on it, it reinforces your self-image as someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. You are showing yourself that you don't live with integrity, loser, whereas <laughs> people who instead keep what's called a time box calendar and measure themselves not based on how many little boxes did they check off, but rather did they do what they said they were going to do for as long as they said they would without distraction. People who measure themselves that way, working on whatever it is they said they were going to do for as long as they said they would without distraction, when that becomes the only metric. Notice I didn't say finishing a task. It's not about finishing. It's about working without distraction. And it, what's incredible, the kicker here, is that the people who use that technique have been shown to actually finish, finish more of course. than yeah. the people who use the to-do list, right? Because as you said, yeah. you know, writers do this all the time. You know this, right? Like, I'm waiting for the muse. I'm waiting for inspiration <laughs> to strike, right? That's not going to happen. <laughs> you have to put your butt yeah, yeah. It is a in job. the chair, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, and you have to put in the hours. So, of course, as you can expect, I wouldn't be having the opportunity to spend time with Nir and then let it pass too quickly. So we're going to have to split this episode into two, as we have uh, started to do recently, just so that we give you a psychological marker if you, you don't have more than an hour to spend on one conversation. I would urge you to uh, continue if you have the time right now. The conversation on episode two is going to be even more incredible as we continue to look at the different strategies that can give you the skill of the century uh, to be indistractable. Of course, if you plan to stop now, rate this podcast five stars before you do, or take a screenshot and share it on social media. Help me spread this message. Slow-mo has been really making a difference to many, many people. I constantly get messages of gratitude for people that say, you open our eyes to new perspectives and get us to think. Of course, I don't. I just sit there and open my eyes as I listen to my wise guests. So please help me spread the message. Also find me on social media, Ask me anything, recommend uh, improvements to slow-mo. I'm Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram, Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn. I apologize, I can't accept any more invitations for connection. I'm mo.gaudet.official on Facebook and mgaudet on Twitter. Yeah, and uh, remember, you could spend more time with us because regardless of how busy you are today, you can always find time to be indistractable. You can always find time to slow down. I love you all for listening, and I hope you'll continue with us on episode two right away.